Hey, this is Welby Pierce. I'm the lead pastor of Hope Rising Church. I want to thank you for listening today. I hope it inspires you, hope it builds your faith, and hope it gives you perspective to see how God is moving in your life. I hope you enjoy the message. praise in this place. Jesus, we worship you. We honor you, Jesus. Come on, let's, I said let's give Jesus the highest praise. Come on. There is no other. You're worthy, Jesus. We love you. We love you. We love you. Oh, man, I hope you have got what you came for. We ain't even done yet. We're just getting started. But, man, we're so good to see you this morning. Why don't you high-five about three people next to you and tell them, come on, it's his. It's his. It's his. Come on, tell them that, and you can take a seat. Take a seat today. Awesome. Awesome. Everybody say, awesome. Man, so good to be here. Man, I... I don't know, it may be hot outside, but it feels good in here. <laughs> Come on, it's like 3,000% humidity, but it's okay, we're all right. And so, and so, yeah, shout out to the dream team that makes it happen every week. <laughs> literally, literally, we have people that sweat for Jesus <laughs> who are uh, making this happen week in and week out. Man, our dream team's amazing. We couldn't do church uh, like we do it being portable without our dream team. So amazing. And uh, so thanks for all the dream team. Uh, we appreciate you. And so, hey, today's a special day. Everybody say it's special. Uh, it's special, man. I, I have, have been looking forward to this day uh, for a few months now uh, because uh, I've been talking to a buddy of mine that I grew up with. And uh, him and his wife uh, are planting a church in the Bryan College Station area. Y'all give it up. Come on. <laughs> so they're going to be doing something similar or the same, kind of like what we're doing here. Uh, they're going to be doing in Bryan College Station in January of 2020. And, man, I am, I am excited. And now, some of you have heard this story before, but the story of when I was about a freshman in high school, 14, 15 years old, and, and uh I kind of strayed away from the Lord some, and I was kind of an undercover Christian, and so, or I was kind of like one of those, I was one way Sunday, but I was another way on Monday, come on, anybody ever been there before? And so, uh, I wasn't a fan of, of, of our youth ministry, but I, I had started to go some, and uh, it was dark, and it might, might have kind of looked like this in the, in the crowd, and it was right before service, and we are getting ready to go to the front and worship, and, and I hit my shoulder on this like side beam. And it was like super, like, it's like one of those, like, thou shall not be moved. Those things, like, did, it didn't move. And, uh, but my shoulder did. And in that moment, what was inside of me came out of me. How many know what I'm talking about? And so I, I said, oh, sugar sticks. And so, and, and my friend looked at me, and he was like, oh. Like in slow motion, he was like so shocked that I would say something so foul. And uh, and so that friend that I'm talking about is actually, he's the one speaking today. And, uh, and so y'all can, y'all can, uh, thank him, uh, for getting me to, uh, to Jesus. Cause I needed somebody cause I was far from God in that moment. And so, uh, man, I, I'm so excited to have Ben and Ashley, his wife was, uh, one of the singers up here, um, just a second ago. And I'm, I'm, I'm just thrilled with what God's been doing already, uh, through you guys. 
Uh, they have a long uh, tenure of ministry, uh, just just be, making an impact, really the greater Houston area. And uh, God's called them to plant a church in Bryan College Station, and and we we get to be a part of that. Y'all gonna have to do a little better than that. All right, I'll make sure I'm at the right church today. I don't know. And so uh, we're gonna later at the at the end of service, we're we're going to sow into their ministry. And uh, God is God has blessed us. And uh, one of the one of our not just even our core values, but just your heart is is generosity. This church flows with generosity. And so I'm gonna go ahead and let you know now. We're gonna take up an we don't even we normally don't even take up offerings, but we're gonna ask you that hey, whatever God lays on your heart, that you would give that today, and we apply that to to them and sow that into their uh, into their ministry. Uh, what I've known is is that you can't outgive God, and when you give when you give out of obedience. And sometimes even abundance, God just takes it and multiplies it, and it does what we can't do on our own. And so, uh, man, we're, so we're going to give uh, to them today, believing that God's just going to continue to bless them and, and see God do great things uh, through their ministry. And so, hey, I, I don't want to take any more time. So uh, y'all need to help him like y'all help me, all right? So don't be bashful. Don't be afraid, all right? He's going to be amazing today. And so I want you to give it up for my friend, Ben and Ashley Rush. Y'all get up for Ben today as he comes and speaks. Come on. What's up, Hope Rising? Good morning. Man, I got some stories on Welby. I had, for, you know, what's funny is I had actually forgotten that story. So thank you for reminding me. That wasn't on the list, but uh, I won't tell any stories on Welby because he's probably got some on me. You know what I'm saying? You following me? The thing that I remember the most about Welby, there are two things that I remember. Now, Welby and I grew up with one another, uh, like he talked about, and then we went to high school with one another. Now, Welby was my ride to school. He was a year older than me, and he drove this car that had, like, oxidation all over it. But it was sweet because it was my ride to school, man. And so I, I didn't complain about the celebrity. The gray celebrity, that was the ride, and that was my ride to school and my ride home. Uh, Welby also had some sweet kicks that he always wore, and I see that his shoe game is still strong, and so I had to wear some of my, my sneakers today. Let me see, show them in the light. I don't know if they're any good, but Welby had some Ken Griffey's back in like 96, 97. They were black and white, and they were smooth, and I was, I was jealous, so anyway, Welby, I've been following him in his footsteps now for several years, so that's why I'm planning a church. He, he went first, and then I'm, I'm going to follow after him. So uh, another funny story about Welby and I and Kristen and Ashley. Actually, they were, my, our wives were roommates in their freshman year in college, and so Welby was a student pastor down in Pasadena area. Where's that? Somewhere down there, and I was in Deer Park. And so we would, we would caravan up on Fridays because we were, we were pastors and we had Fridays off. And, and our girls had school and they would get out of school and we would go take them to dinner or whatever. And so I remember riding down 45 several times to go, go see our ladies. So anyway, yeah. Hey, and we got lucky, didn't we? Did we get lucky, church? I think we were, we're blessed. We're blessed. We're blessed. Well, hey, we're going to be in uh, Luke chapter 14 mostly today, and then I'm going to bounce around just slightly because I like, to, I like to bounce around. Is that okay with you guys? So just bounce. So just kind of go to Luke 14. You know, I'm going to tell you another story. Back around that time, it's about 2002, 
or something like that, I knew that Ashley was the one for me. I knew it, like beyond a shadow of a doubt. And we'd only been dating maybe three or four or five or six months at the most. And I go to her dad and I say, hey, Joel, I want to marry your daughter. And he says, no, you're crazy. She's 18. She's going to go to school for four years. Stay away from my daughter. He didn't say stay away from my daughter, but that was implied. And so I read between the lines and I, I decided to not take his advice, you know, and I kept pursuing her. But what he told me that day, he laid out what I would call an impossible standard. Have any of you guys ever been given an impossible standard? Can you think of a time? Well, my father-in-law, he laid out an impossible standard, and it went something like this. You have to save, if you, wanna, if you want to marry my daughter, you can meet with me again in about six months, but you have to do these things. You have to save up three to six months living expenses. You have to save up money for a ring that you will pay in cash. You have to save up for your honeymoon and then come back to me and talk to me in six months. <laughs> I was a poor youth pastor, man. You know what I'm saying? Well, he knows. So I just started selling stuff, right? I sold everything that I possibly could sell because there was an impossible standard that was given, but I didn't care because I wanted to marry Ashley. So, of course, I go back in six months, and he gives me the blessing but it was because I was motivated to meet that impossible standard. Jesus is going to lay out for us, we're gonna study this in just a second, Luke chapter, chapter 14, he's gonna lay out what I would call an impossible standard. And I wanna give you a heads up, this is the word of God, it's not my word, and so it may make us feel a little uncomfortable today, but that's okay because it's for good, it's for our good. We wanna go deeper with the Lord, right? You guys wanna go deeper with Jesus? So we're going to listen to his word, we're going to open his word, and we're going to let it speak to our hearts. Luke chapter 14, verse 25, says this. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned to them and said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple." Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. 31, or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. The first thing that I want you to write down this morning is that Jesus requires superior love. Jesus requires superior love. Verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, this is brutal, right? Does this sound like Jesus, that, the Jesus that we study? Jesus that says, love your enemies? Love those who persecute you and pray for them? Love your mother and father and honor them? This is confusing to me, right? <laughs> Is it confusing to anybody else? It's confusing to me. This is what, what some people call the hard sayings of the Bible. 
and it, it is really hard. In fact, this is one of the texts that really wrecked me when I, did, when I felt like God was calling us to plant a church because I had, I've read the Bible my whole life. I was the dork that took my Bible, my thick, full-life study Bible to school. People call me Bible Ben. I was, I was a nerd. I don't know if you remember the big, thick Bible. Man, I carried it. Uh, yeah, so this was the text. I, you know, and I've read my Bible my whole life, but I came across this and I thought, man, this is different. There's something in there, and there's something in there for you this morning as well. So let's, let's look at what the Bible says about this word hate and, and what he might say in other places. Because if you don't know, when you're studying the Bible, the best way to understand the Bible sometimes is to look in other translations. And then also if you look in other places in the Bible to see what the Bible says about itself. And so this word hate is kind of, it's confusing. It doesn't really make sense to me much, but I'm gonna, we're gonna shed some light on it hopefully with a couple other texts. Let's go to the left to Matthew chapter 22 and hopefully this, this sheds some, some light on Luke 14. Hold your spot on Luke 14 because we're gonna go back in a minute. Matthew 22, Jesus is, is uh, talking to this guy that's a, a lawyer. Uh, you know, he, he's a lawyer and he, he knows the law really well and he he asks Jesus this question in, in Matthew 22, verse 36. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Okay. All right, we're getting a little clearer, maybe a little bit confusing. Matthew's saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Luke is saying, hate your mother and your father and your children and your brother and your sister and all this stuff. It's like, what, what's going on? Okay, let's look, let's look one other place. One other place. We'll go left again to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew 10, and we're gonna be at verse 37. Matthew 10, 37, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Okay, we're seeing this, whoever, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. This, this sounds very similar to the other passage, right, in Luke chapter 14. So we take these two things, these two, Matthew 10, Matthew 22, and put it in the grid of of Luke 14, here's what's going on. The, the Bible was written in Greek. Sorry to get nerdy on you guys. But Dr. Luke, who wrote Luke, he's writing in the Greek language, and the word there is called missio. Missio is the word that's translated into hate. There's two definitions for missio. One is active hostility, right? Like we would say hate. Like I hate that guy. I hate my neighbor who just drove on my grass, and now I wanna go key his car, right? Okay, what Luke, Luke isn't saying that we have to hate our mom and dad and sister and brother and all that kind of stuff like that, not active hostility. The other definition for the word hate, missio, that's used back then is in a comparative sense. And so Matthew is, is saying it a little bit more like we might say it today. We've got to love Jesus more than anything else, more than anything else. This blows the idea away that, you know, Jesus is number one, and then my wife or my husband's number two, and then my children's number three. You know, that's not, that's not the case here. Jesus is saying, really, he said it in, in uh, Matthew 22, that we love the Lord with some of our hearts, with some of our hearts, 
No, we love him with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our strength. Okay, so we're also taught to, to love our neighbors as ourselves. Okay, so how do we do that? If we try to love the neighbor that drives on, on your grass and you want to key his car, that's a real person, by the way. That, that actually happens in, in my life. I didn't key his car. <laughs> I just called the police uh, <laughs> because it got old. Uh, but, yeah, you know, if I'm going to love him in my own power, I might do good for like about 30 seconds, right? Maybe. But if I really want to love him like Christ is teaching me to love him, I've got to love Christ more. And then that love flows through me to my neighbor. It changes everything. It changes the game. You know, uh, Paul says that husbands, we're supposed to love our wives like Christ loved the church. If you've been married longer than five or 10 years, you know that it takes a little bit of work to love your wife like Christ loved the church. Actually, it probably takes more work for her to love me, <laughs> you know, because honestly, she's perfect. Baby, I love you. But the only way that we can do that is in the, with the power of Christ flowing through us. We love him ultimately superior more than anybody, anything else. You know, and this kind of flies in the face of our culture, really, where, you know, there's almost like we, we wrap our, our, our lives around our children. We wrap our lives and invest our time in our careers. And there's nothing wrong with our children. There's nothing wrong with having a career. But if Jesus gets the leftovers, that's not, that's not what God's called us to. That's not what God has for you. That's not what God has for Hope Rising. That's not what God has for Cyprus, for College Station, for Texas. He has a bigger plan. And he's not, he can't do it if we give him the leftovers. He's got to, we've got to love him more than anything else. Superior love. Superior love. The second requirement that Jesus lays out for us in verse 27. Back in Luke. Luke 14, 27. Jesus says this. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. The second thing I want you to write down today is that Jesus requires exclusive loyalty. Jesus requires exclusive loyalty. Now, I, I may ask for a show of hands, you know, if you want to, but is there anybody in the room that has a cross tattoo on their body somewhere, anywhere? Oh, we got one. Hey, two. Oh, man, that's awesome. Three, four. Oh, great. Five, six. Man, I'm feeling better about this illustration, Welby. Okay, so cross tattoos today, totally understandable because Jesus died for us. He was resurrected. And so that cross has a totally different kind of meaning today than it did back then. If someone, now no shame on those with the cross tattoos, but if you had been around back in you know, Judea around the time that Jesus was crucified and someone saw a cross permanently marked on your body, they would have, they probably would have treated you like an outcast because the cross meant death. It meant suffering. It meant humiliation. If you saw a man walking with the cross, you knew that that was the last thing that that man was ever gonna do. He had no more dreams. He had no more future. He had no more life. That man was going to die and it was gonna be humiliating. And crosses were used not just for Jesus, but they were used all over, the, all over their history. You can look at Roman history. There's, there's a, a guy that he crucified, I can't remember, it's like 6,000 of some other, other people group, 
and he would mark them every mile there was a crucified person as, as just for humiliation's sake. For humiliation's sake, to make it look like, hey, these people are worthless. They're dogs. They're lower than human. And, and so they would rot there, and they would let their dead bodies just stay there. And so Jesus is saying something that's actually extremely radical. To us, it does, it's like kind of like, yeah, of course, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bear my cross. It's like, you know, if, if, if the, the rockets lose, it's like, man, it's our cross to bear, man. It's like, that's just the way it goes. We got the ketchup and the mustard uh, jerseys back, but the others aren't so good. I guess it's our cross to bear. You know, I, I got cut off in traffic. It's my cross to bear. Oh, Jesus, be with me. That's not what Jesus is talking about. It's, that's not it at all. He's saying that if we want to follow him, we are dead to our lives. This is radical, right? It would be very equivalent if someone were, if I were to get up and say, if you want to follow me, pick up your electric chair and follow me. I mean, it's like shocking and kind of odd and like, what the heck are you talking about? <laughs> And so that would have been the reaction of these people. Remember, they don't know who Jesus is, really. They, they, there's a crowd of people following Jesus. And what's hilarious to me is this is really an evangelistic text. He's, he's, trying, he's, he's not trying to make it look like really flowery and easy, right? He's saying, hey, come follow me, and it's going to be really difficult, like really, really, really hard. And so you've got to love me more than anybody else. And not only that, You've got to pick up your cross, an instrument of torture, an instrument of death, and you've got to follow me. Following Jesus, it's a call to die. That's why Paul, later on, he writes in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, for I have been crucified with Christ. I'm dead. You might be listening to me and saying, Ben, I'm breathing, my heart's beating, what are you talking about? I'm not dead, man. You've been crucified. If you're in Christ, we were crucified with Christ. How do we live? He says it in the rest of that verse. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So if we want to live, we live through Christ. We live through Christ, but otherwise, we're dead to our plans. We're dead to our dreams. That doesn't mean we don't have any. It just means that everything flows through Christ. We're saying, hey, God, what's your plan for my life? Hey, Jesus, how do you want me to pray for this obnoxious coworker that chews really loud? You know, <clears throat> please, Lord, help me. You, everything is directed through Christ, everything. We love him the most, and we, he requires our complete devotion, our loyalty, right? <clears throat> this changes our priorities. Now, here in verse 28 and in, uh, in 31, he gives us a couple of illustrations, Luke 14, 28. So Jesus stops. He's given us these two things. If you want to follow me, you've got to hate your mom and dad and brother and sister and children and all that kind of stuff. You've got to pick up your cross and follow me. And then he stops. <clears throat> Jesus does this a lot, and he tells a couple of stories. Verse 28, he says, For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Verse 31, it says, or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him with 20,000? And later on, in, in, in between, he says, count the cost. Jesus is saying, count the cost. First illustration, where workers were building a building. 
If you don't stop to count the cost and you run out of cash, it's going to be embarrassing. So back when, when so I took a three-year hiatus and worked for Gringo's Mexican Kitchen, the best Tex-Mex in the state of Texas. Am I right? I, I hope, I hope y'all really feel that way. Um, so I was running from God kind of for three years and resting also because I'd been in ministry for some time and I felt called to ministry. I felt called to plant a church, excuse me, back in 2015 and it just didn't feel like the right time. And there was some other stuff that happened and you know, the enemy kind of took me out for a period of time and I thought, you know what, I'm gonna make a lot of money and I'm gonna save all the money I can and then I'm gonna be secure and I'm gonna buy toys and fancy things and then I'm gonna feel really good about myself. And uh, I, you know, I'll serve on the side. I'll do some ministry on the side. And that'll be enough. But it wasn't. It wasn't for me. And so Jesus started knocking on the door of my heart. And you know, I've gotten off a little bit. But back when I was at Gringos, we would look at land, and we would do all kinds of calculations, calculations upon calculations upon calculations. Decide: Are we going to invest in this dirt? And then are we going to build a building on it? We would look at traffic counts. We would look at neighborhood growth. We would look at demographics. We would look at taxes. We'd look at other restaurants in the area and find out, okay, what's, what's their, now alcohol sales are public, so you could pull the public data and we'd try to factor in, okay, well, how, how many, how, how well do we think we're gonna do here? And sometimes we'd say, oh no, we can't, we can't build a gringos there. It won't work. And sometimes we would say, hey, let's build a gringos there. And even though we would do all those calculations, it doesn't necessarily <laughs> guarantee, right? On one side, it looks really good, and you do it, it may not work out. On the other side, it looks really bad, maybe we should have done it. But Jesus is saying here, before you start building a building, sit down and count the cost. He's saying, before you start following me and make a decision based on emotions and how it feels after we're worshiping and Kristen and the team are going, amazing, and I'm like, yes, I'm all in, I'm all in, I'm all in, and then you hit the door and get in the car, and you're back to the grind, and you forget about the God encounter that you had here. And that seed that was planted inside of your heart, Jesus is saying, don't make an emotional decision. He's the God of emotions. He gives us the emotions. We experience his spirit, right? We experienced it here this morning. But God's saying, Jesus is saying, before you just start following me, I want you to count the cost. Second illustration that he gives is in verse 31. We're, We're a king or a warrior that's going out to battle. You, how many know there's a difference between wartime and peacetime? There's a difference. Wartime, you're saving resources and you're calculating and you're planning and you're cutting back and you're thinking and deliberating about winning. You're at war. You don't want to lose lives. You don't want to use all of your resources on the wrong thing. And so you're thinking and planning and all of that. Fun is not really on the list, really, during wartime. You're just trying to accomplish the mission. Peacetime is a little different. Peacetime, it's like fun is the name of the game. Now, following Jesus and being in his kingdom is a blast. It's fun, right? Don't get me wrong. I love the fun atmosphere. Hope Rising, I love this church. I'm having, I'm having a good time. You guys are awesome. God's doing some great, great things in y'all. But this thing that Jesus is saying is, He's giving an illustration. He's saying, hey, we're at war. And you see that all over the New Testament, don't we? First Peter 5, 8 talks about the enemy. He's a, he's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's just waiting. 
Ephesians 6 talks about putting on the full armor of God. We're at battle for our own souls and for the souls of those that aren't following him yet. We're saying, God, we are fighting. We are fighting. We're fighting in prayer. We're fighting every time we show up here. We're fighting every time we open up our Bible. We're fighting every time we invite a friend to come here to Hope Rising. We're fighting all the time, all the time. Jesus is saying to his disciples or those people that wanted to follow him, he's saying it to us today, we're at war. Now, this is a little different than today. The common, the common thought out there is, man, that Jesus, if I follow Jesus, now I'm, I'm not saying this is predominant, but in a lot of circles, especially in America, if I follow Jesus, my life is gonna fall into place, man. I'm finally, everything's gonna be, smooth. It's going to be butter. It's going to be great. I'm going to get that car. I'm going to get that raise. I'm going to find that wife or that husband or whatever. And yes, God has great things in store for you, but that's just a part of it. That's just a, that's just a small part. And I know so many people that are following Jesus and they've lost everything. They've lost everything. They have spouses that have died for, from cancer or divorces happen, unexplained things happen, right? We're following him. Those things are distracting and they rip us to shreds. But Jesus is saying, I'm with you, I'm with you. And if you follow me, I'm gonna walk with you through this thing, okay? Jesus is pleading in these two examples, count the cost, count the cost. The third thing that Jesus lines out in verse 33. So we've said he requires superior love. He requires exclusive loyalty. And third requirement is he requires total loss. I told you this was gonna be a, a hard text to preach. It's a hard text to, to lead and live as well. Verse 33, whoever, I'm sorry. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. There's really no easy way to soften this, so I'm just gonna say it like it is, okay? To renounce means to say goodbye. It means to kiss goodbye. It means to leave behind. It means to relinquish. It means to give up. It means to abandon. It means that stuff doesn't matter to me anymore. Renounce is like this. This house that I live in, it has no claim on me. I have no claim on it. I hold it open-handed. This job that I have, it has no claim on me. I have no claim on it. I hold it open-handed. This car that I love or this car that I hate, it has no claim on me. I have no claim on it. I hold it open-handed. These investments that I have, these season tickets that I have, they're not mine. I hold them open-handed. This changes our possessions because all of a sudden you start to think, okay, these things that God has given me, he's just wanting to use them to work through me for his good, for his kingdom, to, for his renown, to make his name great. So instead of just piling up all of this stuff and accumulating all of these things, he's wanting to use that to reach people. He's wanting to use that to reach people. So when you look at our houses, we look at where God has placed us in Acts, it says that God has ordained where the times and places where people would live. And so you look at your house, you look at your street and the, the, the neighbors on either side of you, whether they're great neighbors or terrible neighbors, God placed you there for a purpose and for a reason. And you, you start to, Jesus is saying, he, he wants us to 
give him everything that we have, to renounce all that we have. Now, that may or may not mean he's asking you to sell everything that you've got. He's, he's not necessarily saying that. That's not what renounce means necessarily. It might mean that. It meant that for me. And I'll tell you a little bit of <clears throat> our story. So I told you a minute ago, I worked for, for Gringos for three years and I thought, man, I'm set. I, I was running the company. We had one of the franchise groups and I, I thought, man, this is my, my career path is set. Uh, it was hard in the restaurant business. If any of you guys have ever worked in the restaurant business, it's really hard. It's hard work. And so I was, I was kind of a junkie in that world because I, I love stress and I love challenging situations. I'm kind of weird like that. And so I love solving problems. And the, the reality is in the restaurant business, there are multiple, multiple problems, so many that you can't get to them every day. And so you just kind of end the day and you start over again and thinking, man, this is, you're on this hamster wheel. There was a trip that I took and, uh, with Ashley and the Holy Spirit started to speak to both, both of us during this season. And it was kind of at the height of busyness and the height of like kind of good stuff too. And, and we were looking forward to opening new restaurants and, and all of that. Did I tell you that my boss was my father-in-law, by the way? <laughs> you know, the guy that gave me the uh, impossible standard. So anyway, the Holy Spirit started to speak to Ashley and I, and we started to pray about what God might be telling us to do. We weren't really sure. Um, we knew in our heart of heart, but we weren't willing to say it out loud. We knew that God had called us to plant a church, and we were scared out of our minds of what that would look like. So anyway, we, over a period of time, we decided we're all in. No matter what the cost, we're going to do this thing. And so I sold a house, like literally my dream house, with a pool on this little cul-de-sac with seven houses. Everybody's got kids. I drive home at the end of a long day, and all the kids are outside playing basketball, riding on the bikes, running through the street. It was like, this is all I've ever wanted, you know. Uh, sold it. Because you know what? I was like, if this is going to hold me back from what God has, he can have it. I don't even care anymore. I don't care anymore. He can have it. The car that I was driving, it was a company car. I had to turn it back in. Ashley, I just bought her a new ride. It was pretty nice. Sold that. And so uh, we're in some totally different vehicles. We've rented two houses since we sold our house. We got one more move to go. I mean, it's like, it's just insane. But the journey of faith is we've taken a step out and God's like, okay, here you go. And he provides every step of the way. And so our journey in planting a church has been out of complete surrender and obedience to him. And it's hard. There are days that I never think about going back to gringos, but there are days that I'm like, I'm kind of pouting, like, oh, this is really hard. This is really hard. And Jesus is like, hey, I'm with you in this. I'm with you in this. And so, hey, my story may be different from yours. Maybe he's not calling you to plant a church, or maybe he is. Maybe, he, maybe he's calling you to, go in the mission field. Maybe he's calling you to start a Bible study at your business or on your street. Or maybe he's calling you to join the dream team and start serving here or be a part of a small group or, or maybe lead a small group. God might be doing something in you. He, he probably is. If you just stop and wait and, and stop and listen and ask him, hey, Lord, what do you want from me? I'm yours I'm here. So he, he requires for, for his followers 
absolute and exclusive devotion, or however I worded it in the slides, uh, supreme love, he requires exclusive loyalty and total loss. Now, it feels like a dark blanket. I don't know how y'all are feeling this morning. I know how I have felt, and I know how I felt when I read that text. So here's the good news. There is good news, right? Let's turn to Matthew. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew 19, verse 16. This is another one of those texts that really gripped my soul and still does. Verse 16, and behold, a man came to him saying, teacher, what must, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go and sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Let's jump down to verse 25. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Jesus lays out the cost to, to this rich young ruler who, who's got it all together. He's following the commandments. And the disciples are like, hey, Jesus, this guy's got it all together, and he, he's, he can't be a disciple. What hope is there for us? Who then can be saved? Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. We look at what Jesus says and what he requires and we say, there's absolutely no way I can do what he's asked me to do. There's no way. It's crazy. No one will understand me. People will think I'm a lunatic. I will lose my friends. I might lose my job if I follow what you're asking me to do. I can't do it. And the truth is, it is an impossible standard that you can't do on your own. But Jesus says here to his disciples, this is, this is it. This is the clue. He says, with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. So I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know how this text hit you but I wanna go all in with Jesus. Do you wanna go deeper with him? Do you wanna follow him wherever he's leading you? It's, it's tough, it's not gonna be easy. Jesus is saying count the cost, count the cost, count the cost. Let's bow our heads this morning. Jesus, we want to follow you, we wanna leave it all behind, we wanna be your disciples. 
Jesus, would you help us to understand the demands in the gospel in light of the rewards of the truth of the gospel? You, you require supreme love because you're, you're supremely loving. You love us so much. You gave your life for us. You want exclusive loyalty because you're the most loyal being that ever was and ever will be. You said that you'll never leave us or forsake us. Jesus, you require total loss from us because you gave it all. You suffered total loss on our behalf. And so, God, we don't even pretend to know 100% of what this means, what we read today, but we're asking for the power of the Holy Spirit to enlighten the scripture and that it would come alive to us, that if it's not right here, right now, that maybe when we're driving home later today, that you would tell us, Lord, how can we live this out? How can we obey? How can we follow you in the way that you've called us to follow you? We love you. We surrender to you. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for joining us in the Hope Rising podcast. Visit us online at hoperising.co. If you're in the Cypress, Texas area, we would love to connect with you on Sundays, 10 a.m. at Spillane Middle School. Thanks again for listening. Have a wonderful week.